Today on Cyberwork, I'm joined by Yossi Applebaum, CEO of Sepio. Yossi and I shared a great conversation about the Cybersecurity and Infrastructure Security Agency, or CISA's, operational directive for non-military federal agencies to adopt a strict set of asset visibility and vulnerability detection systems starting as early as April of 2023. Yossi discusses this directive, saying that it takes FCEB agencies out of the cybersecurity stone age and into the future. But can it work in such a short time frame? Yossi has thoughts. Find out today on Cyberwork. Welcome to this week's episode of the Cyberwork with InfoSec podcast. Each week, we talk with a different industry thought leader about cybersecurity trends, the way those trends affect the work of InfoSec professionals, while offering tips for breaking in or moving up the ladder in the cybersecurity industry. With more than 25 years of experience in security, networking, computer science, and control systems, Yossi Applebaum uh, brings wide-angle vision on cybersecurity. In the early 90s, Mr. Applebaum joined the Israeli Army Intelligence and served as a team leader and as a chief architect, focusing on design and development of critical infrastructure network monitoring and security systems. In 1998, Mr. Applebaum was one, one of the founders of WebSilicon, an Israeli company which focused on delivering networking and security systems. As the VP of R&D, Mr. Applebaum was in, involved in design and implementation for more than 250 systems for eight government agencies, integrators, and vendors. Mr. Applebaum served as the CTO for cybersecurity of Senstar Inc., a North American division of Magal, uh, and relocated the United States to work more closely with key customers and partners. In 2016, Mr. Applebaum co-founded Sepio. Uh, he also serves as the CEO of Sepio and is responsible for its North American operations. So uh, today's topic, we are going to be talking about asset visibility and vulnerability detection, and uh, specifically in the um, CISA's Binding Operational Directive 2301. Uh, so I'm really looking forward to this. Uh, Yossi, thank you very much for joining me today, and welcome to CyberWork. Can't wait. Thank you so much. Uh, so to kick things off here, Yossi, can you tell me about how you first got interested in computers and cybersecurity? What was the initial draw and what? when did you decide that you wanted to devote your career to it? Well, I'm old enough not to uh, start by saying I was dragged into cybersecurity or because there was no cybersecurity, at least uh -huh. not in terms of term uh, yeah. at that time. But as a young, uh, young kid, I was dragged into uh, computers, you know, mm -hmm. Apple and 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 Sinclair, really, really old. Uh, you know, the kids now will ask themselves, "What are, what is he talking about?" Yeah. Uh, I finished my high school, and and as an Israeli, most of the kids go to the army, mm -hmm. uh, and you have an option to postpone the army service for a while and and go studying, and then uh, joining the army later on as a professional. And that's the path I chose. I okay. was eventually by the Israeli intelligence uh, forces to uh, to join a a team there that was eventually led to all the activities that I was involved in my entire career. So you know, I studied computers and electronics, and as such, I always were interested in in the verge between uh, understanding vulnerabilities and understanding how to. Uh, exploit them in mm -hmm. sometimes in my past and protect against them in the rest of my career. Uh, and this is uh, what led me to creating, uh, together with my other co-founders that we worked together for 30 years, uh, both WebSilicon, another company we were involved in, and eventually Sepio. Yeah, now, um, 
you, it sounds like you were probably already studying tech and security before you joined uh, or you did your, your course of study. But did that particular course of study in, you know, moving towards the, your time in the Israeli army, was that uh, did that like really was that like a big jump up or were you already pretty well, you know, uh, established as sort of a computer expert at that point and were sort of like brought in because you already had the skills. Like, I guess I'm trying to figure out the chicken or the egg here. Did you did you get a big step up by having, you know, the the service and the education that came with it? Or were you already kind of on that path? Funny, if you'll ask Yossi in 91, he was uh, saying to you that he knows everything because he's full. Oh, of yeah. And he's... Nobody can tell him nothing. <laughs> convinced that uh, uh, everyone else uh, has no value and he's the smartest in the room. Uh, <laughs> sure. Uh, in uh, later phases, uh, uh, I realized that I knew very little uh, and it's all about experience. So... I, I, I had some experience past to that, uh, but, you know, most of my experience started when I joined the craziness of the intelligence machine there. Uh, it's mm -hmm. literally like an incubator of startups in, in essence of running between so many projects in no breakouts between them. Right. Now, your early career, you mentioned this a, a bit here, involved uh, the co-founding of two companies, Web Silicon and CyberSeal, well prior to your co-founding of Sepio, your current business. So uh, what made you decide to found these two companies and what, what needs did you see in the industry that needed satisfying by these companies? In many essence, Web Silicon was the first IoT security company, but you, mm. you, you realize that in prospect, in retro right, right. perspective uh, uh, after that. But, mm -hmm. you know, eventually Web Silicon was a bootstrap company. We started it in 98. And again, the same founding team. So, you know, working together for so many years, each one is trying to bring his uh, own expertise. We had roughly the same path. But uh, Web Silicon was literally addressing customer needs, and customers were mostly OEM vendors. So, you know, we had discussions with uh, many companies. They raised a, a, a list of ideas and, and requests, and eventually we can help here and we can help there, but we cannot help in another place. And as part of that, we were able to eventually create platforms that were more generic to address uh, network monitoring needs uh, and, and eventually it led to network security and, and other, you know, we built hardware devices, God forbid, uh, and, and eventually <laughs> uh, software platforms that enabled us to create, you know, first industrial Ethernet switch with cybersecurity embedded inside. Got it. Uh, uh, mm -hmm. and, and we're able to win a competition with Cisco at that time, which was yeah. really exciting. But uh, yeah. but generally, you know, uh, when we started, it was more like, this is what we know and who needs that? Uh, yes, right. In Sepio, in, in it's different because, you know, we are old enough. We understand the market way better mm. uh, than we used to. And 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 we know what is missing and what what is covered by other technologies. And that was a totally different story. That's interesting. So yeah, I just want to make sure that I'm I'm teasing this out so that I'm I'm getting the distinction properly. The uh Web Silicon and, and CyberSeal, your idea for starting them was 
what, you know, we have the certain knowledge, how do we turn it into a company? Whereas with Sepio, it's what does the market need? Let's build a, uh, you know, a company around this particular need. Is that is that a, a fair assessment? In day one, yes. Of course, Web Silicon eventually became uh, one of the strongest players in, in understanding network uh, monitoring mm-hmm. and in bringing solutions that are not just working in a lab, but literally efficient in the field. Yep. In Sepio, it was literally, you know, understanding the market, seeing in the past what is missing, having multiple discussions with potential buyers, mm-hmm. and then getting into, and it's not like, you know, it's a smooth path from day one to now, but at least we knew from beginning what we are going to do. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You had the the, the game plan in, in place first. Okay, so, um, uh, you know, I'm asking all this because a lot of our listeners are are newly starting in cybersecurity or have just started, uh, and they like to hear more and more about people's, you know, choices throughout their career, as well as the day-to-day work that our guests perform in these positions. So can you tell me about what the average tasks uh, are like in your week, in, in a given week as, as CEO of Sepio? Oh my gosh, uh, no day is similar to the other one. Uh, and, you know, there is a big difference between uh, different steps of the company. You know, you start, you have an empty office, you start to put furniture, and then uh, you sit next to the phone and start calling people to uh, tell the story. Mm-hmm. Uh, now the company is close to 80 people. Uh, eventually, I can tell myself I'm the CEO of the company, but eventually, the company manages me in a way. Right. Uh, and it's always a very delicate balance between, you know, responding to be proactive and 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 eventually pushing your initiatives. And it's not a, there's no one answer, but generally speaking, it starts with weekly meetings with stakeholders in the company. That's a, a, an element key of knowing what's going on because there's plenty of ad hoc meetings. There's plenty of that, but unless you have a weekly meeting that, keeps you organized and keeps you disciplined in and and the other party member, uh, you know, the one that speaks with you, uh, you won't be able to figure out uh, problems that eventually becomes uh, bigger problems Mm -hmm. unmanaged. Uh, So that's one thing. Another challenge, you know, Sepio is uh, global from day one. So we have engineering in Tel Aviv. Now we have also engineering in Lisbon in the last several years. Uh, Mm -hmm. We have a sales team spread around the U.S. Uh, We have uh, spread uh, now teams in Europe Uh, and in in Israel, again, not just engineering, but sales and support and all of that and product. So uh, it's really our time difference. There is like four days overlap in a week. Israel works (laughs) on Friday uh, on Sundays, but they don't work on Friday. Mm-hmm. And and in the US, we know how it is. So uh, there's very limited time, uh, which is efficient, uh, in order to collect the information and create one map. Uh, the second thing is there is a lot of responsibility in front of the board, investors, and all of sure. that, which requires significant amount of that. There are phases during the year that are different, like we are planning now 23 or actually closing the planning of 23. So mm-hmm. budget, uh, budget is not just what we spend, is what we are going to sell. So there is income, there is outcome and uh, there are spending and uh, and profitability issues uh, and, and, and many other concerns that require discussions with sales and marketing and, and, and finance and you name it and engineering. Uh, so literally trying to be organized, it's not easy. It's not easy at all. Uh, I 
I'm a great believer that eventually it's all about, and it's a cliche, but I really, really believe in it. It's the quality of the management team that works with you and not mm-hmm. work, works for you. Right. Uh, and 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 if you don't have that, uh, you are in a really, really dangerous uh, zone. Uh, now, um, this is not related to Sepio specifically, but can you tell us about your activities as an ambassador of the Global Cyber Alliance, of which you've been a part since 2018? Yes. So Global Cyber Alliance uh, keeps going, and actually it's nice to see that. But uh, mm-hmm. Global Cyber Alliance came as initiative of uh, uh, City of New York and, and, and City of London and a and, and couple of very smart people uh, that were building it uh, here and in, in the UK. and and. And eventually, the initiative uh, require a voice to be heard because there are plenty of projects. At the beginning, it was really few. Now there are, you know, kits for uh, reporters, especially in mm-hmm. in election years or in in places. You know, we see what's going on now in Peru, for example, or in Iran. Right. Uh, so we need these uh, reporters and journalists to have as clean as possible uh, infrastructure. In any case, uh, mm-hmm. you know, starting big risk and problems. Uh, there's elections, so there are kits for elections. There are uh, small businesses that really don't have the capacity, the budget, the knowledge on where to start. Mm-hmm. Uh, and 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 these initiatives uh, are extremely important. Now, as an ambassador, uh, you are a voice uh, that uh, you know people know, and you can post, and you can talk, and you can uh, bring that. At- to that, bring the initiatives to the attention of more and more people. Mm-hmm. I, I would admit that I'm not doing the best job there, you know, eventually between <laughs> the day job in CPO and and being ambassador. Uh, yes. not, I'm not super happy with my performance there, but as a, a I'm totally aligned with the mission and totally aligned right. with whatever I can in order to help. Yeah, how much? I mean, to that end, how much time does being the ambassador, you know, how how does it sort of like? What's the percentage of like a, a given month where you're having to do that, or does it vary it's, a lot? It's a, it's a very small percentage, you know, it's mm-hmm. several hours, but you know, no one really asks you to do specific things. But yep. you know, you have a responsibility, and again, I'm yep. not super happy with what I'm doing, but uh, but I'm not super happy, you know, as part of you know the way I'm looking on my entire life is you want way more in any aspect. I want oh, yeah. more time with my kids and my wife. Mm-hmm. I want way more time in office. I want more time as ambassador. I want more time to mentor and helping uh, people here in mm-hmm. Sepio. But, you know, there is physical yeah. limitation. Exactly. Yeah, only so many hours in a day. So uh, so today's topic um, is, is a, re- a recently announced directive from the Cybersecurity and Infrastructure Security Agency, or CISA for short. Uh, it's called Binding Operational Directive BOD 23-01, Improving Asset Visibility and Vulnerability Detection on Federal Networks. Uh, and it is aimed at, quote, establishing baseline requirements for all federal civilian executive branch agencies to identify assets and vulnerabilities on their networks and provide data to CISA on defined intervals. So I want to walk through some of the requirements of this slowly for any listeners who are coming to the directive for the first time. So first of all, can we define what the federal civilian executive branch agencies are within the requirement of this directive? We're talking about non-military federal organizations like the Postal Service and the Department of Motor Vehicles. Like who's, Who's going to be affected by this? Eventually, all of them, because mm-hmm. eventually, you know, let, let's go back to the beginning of what uh, what the, that directive says. Mm-hmm. Eventually, the government come and say, hey, 
We trust the DOD to know what they're doing. It's a, you know, we are working with several DOD agencies and they, they know what they're doing. Mm-hmm. Nothing is perfect anywhere, but they know what they want to do. Yes. Uh, in, in civilian, you know, there's the DHS uh, and in some cases in terms of cybersecurity, there are many other agencies that are not exactly experts in cybersecurity. And mm-hmm. some of them are very small. Some of them are bigger. And that's just on the federal level. But we can go another uh, level in another layer into the state and local, which is not part of that directive. But eventually, as a security expert, uh, managing risk is your job. There's mm-hmm. no zero risk. But uncontrolled risk is enemy number one of you being able to do your job, right? Yeah. So uh, the basic requirement uh, uh, to know what you have in your infrastructure uh, uh, has a lot of impact on, uh, on, on, on the ability to manage that risk. Because literally, and it's not unique to the government, but as a big, big organization, you really don't know what's there. So you have rules mm-hmm. and you have requirements and you have compliance to that. And you have a regulation in a way that want to apply that uh, on, on agencies. But you get into a discussion and they really don't know what's there. Uh, uh, so this is eventually, you know, in a, in a long sentence, but in one sentence, the entire initiative. Now, there are eventually, you know, priorities. It's simple to say, no, okay, so now, now let's map all the infrastructure. It costs endless amount of dollars. It takes so much uh, time. And yep. there are so many tools uh, to be considered while you do that. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, 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 and there is, of course, discussions, what is more important, what is less important. Yep. And there are some decisions regarding that. And, and CISA is a great uh, advocate of that. And I think they were significant in part of creating that uh, directive. It's not like, yeah. with all due respect to the president, he was not sitting next to his... Oh, no, yeah, right. And, and <laughs> with his manual it. open, yeah. Uh, uh, <laughs> but eventually, you know, that uh, is a key element in any effective cybersecurity program, uh, regardless yep. the size and regardless the nature of your uh, business, agency or not agency. Yeah, yeah, no, I, I literally just got off the uh, uh, previous episode with um, uh, Steve Judd of um, uh, Venify, and we were talking specifically about how DOD is moving towards uh, zero trust. So we know they're they're <laughs> well on their way. So yeah, this makes sense. This is sort of a a, a stopgap catch up for uh, for the other other parts of the government. So uh, again, for the benefit of new listeners, when we talk about things like asset management and vulnerability, uh, you you mentioned a little bit, but what are we concretely talking about specifically and related to that when CISA requires that these agents quote agencies quote identify assets and vulnerabilities on their network and provide data to CISA on defined intervals what does that entail is that is this type of asset management something that most civilian agencies are doing anyway and reporting it to CISA is simply an additional step or is this asking agencies who haven't done much asset management in their past to start thinking about it for the first time or does it is it a wide spectrum it's a wide spectrum because there are yeah. some that are doing something and there are something some that are not doing anything. And right. eventually, you know, let's define what is an asset. Uh, and and you know, in my perspective, and what what we do in Sepio is taking that in the broader uh, definition. So every device that has any sort of connectivity, wireless, wired or wireless to your infrastructure, I intentionally not saying network, but infrastructure or data is an asset in terms of risk at minimum. 
meaning that uh, your mouse, your keyboard, your yep. key or thumb drive, your computer, your network infrastructure, your OT, IoT, and IT equipment mm-hmm. are assets. Now, the challenge is first to, and it's not unique to the government again, but to, to agree that this is the span of assets. Because, you know, if you go to IoT security company, they will say IoT assets. OT mm-hmm. security company, OT assets. You'll go to a company that sells kind of a network access control system, NAC, they will say IT. Uh, and we just bought an OT or IoT and all that. But generally speaking, asset is an asset regardless what it is doing as long as it, is, as it has any sort of connectivity into your infrastructure. That's my belief. Uh, yeah. and, and I would say that uh, the narrow definitions of IoT and OT and IT are dangerous because many, many devices will fall between the cracks. Sure. Uh, so that's element number one. Now, when you have a definition of as- asset, we all agree that when a person gets into an office, he brings a risk. The risk, mm-hmm. he may be an insider. He may carry something knowingly on or, or unknowingly. Uh, and, and, and many sorts of that. We can spend hours on that. But yeah. a device, exactly like a software asset, is the same faults. So device can carry something knowingly or unknowingly. Mm-hmm. Someone bring that device knowingly or unknowingly. And the risk of that device has multiple uh, contributors. For example, US, the United States decided, I'm not against that, but decided, of course, that there are specific vendors that should be blacklisted. And we are not welcome these a, a manufacturers in our infrastructure. I'm not getting into the politics, but that was a decision. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So this is a risk indicator, right? So if I see these, I'm not in compliance with regulation. Mm-hmm. Uh, some agencies and some organizations say that I don't allow any detachable media right. for so-and-so reasons. So devices from sort of detachable media creates a unique risk to these sort of uh, organizations, mm-hmm. while other organizations can, I don't care because that's the nature of me doing it. Because it's necessary. Yeah, right. Mm-hmm. X-ray machine, for example. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, now, some may say I don't want specific types of devices in specific areas within my infrastructure. Another risk indicator. And, 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 and there's the reputation of the uh, device. There is the a reputation of the vendor on on top of the blacklisted, uh, you know, bad practice or good practice in designing and implementation based on media, based on many, many other incidents uh, involved with these specific devices and vendors. And we can, again, spend hours on that. But eventually all of that create a risk score for each one of the devices. So that risk score is a key element in trying to figure out what's your you know risk posture of the organization uh, unfortunately uh, today uh, too many parts in the in, in the government in the industry are not aligned with that uh, in contrast for example with what they do now with software risk which is mm-hmm. really great in some organizations but they are behind in implementation of that into hardware. And, and, and when they will, uh, I think uh, we will gain way better uh, security for all of us, especially in the government aspect on our life. 
Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's a challenge, but I think it's going to be a worthwhile one. So um, in in CISA director Jen Easterly's comments on the directive, she said, uh, quote, knowing what's on your network is the first step for any organization to reduce risk. So this is part of a larger quote saying that even though this is a requirement for federal agencies, even non-federal agencies should consider doing the same. But I want to drill down a bit into this, quote, first step aspect of Ms. Easterly's quote. Uh, so asset management, as she rightly pointed out, is the first step to finding out what your unprotected and underprotected assets are. So, uh, Yossi, can you tell me what are the next, what's the next step after that? Will CISA be providing recommendations for protecting these assets or will it be on the respective agencies to determine their own security hardening strategies? CISA is one of the uh, very few organizations that I cannot say anything bad about the way they are running. I think that's ah, great. Really, really, really interesting and, and remarkable uh, way of doing things. Uh, and uh, I, I'm, you know, I, I don't want to talk on behalf of CISA on what is next. I, I trust them uh, completely. What I would say is that what we see in many, many global organizations is that after you have that knowledge, you start to apply policies. Mm -hmm. uh, policies mean, you know, at minimum, I want to be alerted about things that are outside the comfort zone that I created to myself. Yes. Or literally throw these connections out of my infrastructure. So I don't want these devices to have any connectivity into my network. I want them to be DMZ. I want them to be totally isolated. I want mm -hmm. them to literally close the port, whatever the yep. application would be. And 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 the reason for that is first we're talking about tens of millions of devices within the government, if yes. not more. And as such, you cannot do it manually. Uh, the second thing is, of course, you want to know about that and you want to track about and you want to see trends and you want because this will give way more intelligence than we have today. Uh, and it is part of a really big initiatives that are running in the government, for example, better uh, grip on the supply chain, better grip on the road to zero trust. You cannot gain mm -hmm. zero trust unless you have a re quite good idea what's there, right? So, yeah, you know. Right. <laughs> and and clear paths of how to navigate it all. Uh, <laughs> exactly. So yeah, I feel this always this always sounds to me like some like you know we're we're looking out for like like an old like the, the data equivalent of like an old security or like an old like janitor's closet or something that someone forgot about and didn't realize there's a door in there that will <laughs> that no, if you I, have the right I, thing, yeah. I keep remembering a couple of years ago we had a meeting with uh, I'm not going to mention name but with yeah, one yeah. bank here in the US and and the response from uh, one of their uh, top cybersecurity leaders was I don't care about my hardware anymore because I'm uh, moving to the cloud. Right. Uh, unfortunately by the way they realized later on uh, in a bad way that mm. it was not really a great uh, statement. Because what do you mean you move to the cloud? There is no hardware in the cloud. You are not responsible for that, maybe. What about your endpoints? What about the fact that you are using yeah, a computer yeah. while you zoom into the meeting with me? So your computer, your network connection of the computer, the mouse next to the computer, all of these are hardware. And, 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 and in any research in the last couple of years, there's more hardware today than in any other time in human history. Mm -hmm. And it is true now, and it's true in a minute because it keeps going. Yep. So uh, ignoring that is literally not exactly the best practice in security. 
<laughs> yeah, no, when I hear someone say, yeah, I don't need to worry about it. I'm moving to the cloud. That just, all that, all that sounds like is, is I don't want to think about this. Please just stop talking to me. <laughs> and that's not, that's not good. Uh, so, um, yeah, next question. CISA uh, set a deadline of April 3rd, 2023 for all FCEB agencies to hit the first stage step of the process, such as performing automated asset discovery every seven days uh, and initiate vulnerability enumeration across all discovered assets, including all discovered nomadic slash roaming devices every 14 days. Now, Yossi, do you think this is a realistic deadline? I've been speaking so many guests lately who are behind the eight ball or know people who are when it comes to things like the long rumored CMMC 2.0 compliance for vendors next year. Is this a similarly tight or scary deadline? And do you think the three, six, 12 and 18 month tracking and reporting deadlines will be attainable? I, I think they know what they're doing. Okay. So mm -hmm. it starts with that. And, and, and in contrast to CMMC that uh, is being delayed all the time, for good reasons, by the way, you know, not, not ex excellent uh, result, but I understand why it is being delayed. Mm -hmm. uh, it is easier, I think, in terms of implementing that. Uh, so that's one thing. Mm -hmm. uh, I would give them the benefit of, uh, or give them the credit, not the benefit of the doubt, but literally the credit that until today, I, I'm not really aware of big faults. So, Maybe it would take a bit more time, but unless you put some target and put pressure on, yeah. on, on managers, we all know it's not going to happen in any time unless you put something. Uh, and I'm sure they have, you know, case by case discussions. Uh, I'm sure based on guesstimate, not that I know about any, but, uh, uh, you know, I'm not going to uh, 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 say that I'm 100% sure because I really don't know. Mm -hmm. But I would say that uh, they seems to be very know what they are doing, and I yeah, trust yeah. them. Seriously, trust them. So it's making people sweat, but no one's saying like this is impossible. <laughs> I don't think it's impossible. Yeah, yeah. Um, so I want to uh, pivot from that into um, the actual work of doing things like asset visibility and vulnerability detection, as uh, you know, as someone who might be entering the the, the industry now. Um, Will this re directive require a new set of security professionals who have this type of experience to fill in emerging job roles? Absolutely. Mm -hmm. uh, I, I think one of the failures in the industry, especially on the vendor side, is literally understanding the difference between the risk that is coming from hardware to the risk that is coming from software. And mm -hmm. some, and mm -hmm. especially the difference between, let's call it the soft IT world and the hard infrastructure world and yep. and because of that we see and and again i'm talking on behalf of myself and sepio you know i sure. think i know what i'm talking about but some people may think i'm think different is that generally speaking uh, some technologies and i'm not going to mention names of vendors but some technologies today are trying to apply kind of the software way of mapping and understanding the risk on hardware. And mm -hmm. it's not efficient. It's not scalable. And again, talking on my behalf, not, not scalable enough and not accurate enough. Uh, and because of that, and I can give a couple of technology examples. Uh, and because of that, uh, the lack of uh, solutions is not based on someone being lazy or someone being not smart, it is mm -hmm. based on experience. It is based on skill set. And it goes back to your question. And then I'll give the, the example. 
it it goes to the fact that it's totally different skill set. It's not the direct path from IT to cybersecurity or from software to that. It requires understanding in physics. It requires understanding in electronics. It is deep, deep, deep understanding in in how what we all know as Ethernet, Wi-Fi, and all of that works underneath the hood. Because otherwise, uh, it's not going to change enough. Mm-hmm. Uh, uh, you know, many many technologies today in 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 mapping uh, in in the game of mapping hardware are based on uh, traffic monitoring. Uh, eventually, it's a new generation of IDS, uh, which mm-hmm. is a, you know great idea. The problem is with that is it is limited by the amount of resources you can dedicate for that. Uh, and big agencies will have so much traffic running on the network. So mapping all of that traffic is a big issue. Yep. There are other side effects to that. Uh, some traffic may be encrypted. So unbre- you know, breaking that encryption is another issue. Compliance and running through a third party uh, uh, sensitive information is another risk factor. We have all seen what happens in uh, in some incidents uh, with uh, with that related to that. So uh, I know what we're doing in Sepio, but uh, in in generally speaking, uh, I keep telling the story that uh, imagine a a dark wind, a dark room. Uh, you don't see anyone, and what is an IDS? You sit there, put a microphone, and start to analyze who's speaking to whom. And based on that, hey, Yossi is speaking to Chris. Uh, Yossi is mm-hmm. in the room, and Chris is in the room. But if mm-hmm. Yossi is sitting quietly and not swing, uh, saying anything, Yossi is still in the room, still brings risk, but he's not saying anything. Yeah, and 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 this is a a significant fault of a traffic and and activity monitoring versus the fact that I believe uh, that hardware identification should be based on eventually you put your hand on the desk, you are there. So if a device, a device has any sort of connectivity, it's there and you need to discover that connectivity and not Mm -hmm. the activity. Right. And and, and that's a, a great example. So Unfortunately, not enough people are uh, have the right skill set for uh, being involved in such. Well, that, 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 I have a good follow-up for that. So I, I'm, I'm sure it probably varies depending on the size of the respective agencies, but is this the type of work that you're speak, speaking here, traffic analysis or, you know, hardware, um, you know, identification? Is this the type of work that requires master level vulnerability management or something that can be worked toward with less experienced professionals? I think uh, it's a like a different uh, ruler which mm-hmm. is better understanding the physics behind uh, more than the certification. But yes, when it goes eventually towards the level, you know, eventually what we bring is a risk score. And then you, and vulnerability report, then you need people like that, that will be narrowed uh, into, into understanding what does it mean. But it starts by creating that, by generating that. I, now, I don't want to push millions of people to go there because then I'll have competitors. But seriously, <laughs> uh, uh, there is not enough uh, people uh, that uh, are... Uh, so this this isn't this isn't necessarily something that you have to wait till nearer the end of your career to start working with. You can oh, no. start you can start working in this field 
pretty much from the beginning and have something to do to sort of build your experience. Yes, absolutely. Okay, absolutely. so for listeners who want to make uh, some or all of their work in cybersecurity be around asset visibility and vulnerabilities, either for federal agencies or anywhere else, what type of learning paths or experiences or qualifications should they be trying to achieve to make themselves look like top of pile candidates within the resume stack? So it depends. It depends where in the food of you know they want to be, but if they want to be on the vendor side that really creates the technology, they really need to seek a deep understanding in engineering uh, hmm. and, and physics and things like that. Uh, if they are more into understanding the risk that is coming from that, you know, classic cybersecurity path is the great thing to do. But I would recommend that eventually uh, uh, building their knowledge around uh, uh, hardware, building their knowledge about understanding the ecosystem, uh, it's not going to disappear. The tension between uh, the U.S. and and China and other it's not going to be different. It's going or actually it's going to be worse. I believe uh, the 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 fight on world domination is not going to stop. That's the human nature, and and hopefully America is not giving up. And and mm-hmm. as such, uh, 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 as well as uh, you know manufacturing so much mostly in 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 China, and I don't believe there is an alternative for a common hardware in any other place. Uh, it, it, you know, we need to recognize the problem and we need to recognize that we need to address the problem, not by stop buying, but by more like, you know, understanding the risk and assessing the risk, you know, on a continuous basis. Right. Yeah, there's never zero risk. So, yeah, it makes sense. Uh, um, so if you were, uh, this is a hypothetical question, if you were entering the cybersecurity field right now with the requirements and experiences that are needed to compete with this particular level of speed, would you have done anything differently compared to your early years in the business? So like, what what, what are some, uh, you know, maybe things that, you know, if given the chance you would have studied more of this or you would have got in on the ground floor of this technology or any, anything like that? I, well, the given answer is yes, absolutely. I don't have mm-hmm. details because I need to think about that deeply, but okay. absolutely yes. And and I, I would give one thing, and I, I truly believe that eventually, uh, you know, I was in a way lucky to be joining the intelligence of Israel in uh, literally several months after the first Iraqi war, after Desert Storm. Mm-hmm. The entire Middle East changed. Iraq was not exactly an... Uh, a risk or a threat in Israel anymore, and Iran became top uh, top tier, way more modern, way computerized, were more interesting, and you know it it affects eventually. In thirty years later, you understand where it starts. But sure. uh, you know the only advice I keep giving to young engineers and young professionals is use what you got and make it uh, the best. You know, make lemonade out of lemon, but seriously make lemonade of, out of lemon. You can, uh, you know, compare yourself to the other. Oh, you got that, and I got only that. But, you know, I I think that comparing to some of my colleagues and friends in the past, I did quite okay. Even though, you know, at t equals zero, I think uh, some may say they got a better, uh, you know, position at at the day uh, at day one. It's all about you. It's all about you. That's the only really advice I can give to young professionals. Um, so 
get, you know, if you want to look in your, you know, magic crystal ball or whatever, do you, what, what, what do you, how do you think the, um, this directive, let's assume it's, it's, you know, properly implemented and stuff. Uh, do, do you, how do you see this sort of uh, changing the security uh, stance platform, whatever of federal agencies? Do you see, do you see this uh, going far enough? Do you see they're like pushing the needle in terms of, of, you know, closing back doors and closing vulnerabilities and things like that. Um, like, do you, do you see do you see good results for for the possibilities of this directive? Hundred percent sure. Hundred uh, percent sure. It's not moving the needle. It's moving walls. Okay. Uh, and 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 borders. And 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 seriously, it's like almost from Stone Age to a modern era okay. in understanding modern risk. And and uh, you know, I applaud the agencies that will do it faster than the rest. Mm-hmm. And and I think that uh, we should all uh, uh, support that initiative, regardless. You know, it's not politics. Uh, it has only one one main issue, which is you know us being more secure. And we are not okay. secured enough. And this is a big change. You know, I yeah. I I I would say that, and some vendors will have to forgive me for that. But when you change from EDR one to EDR two. You may have a difference uh, and, and change in the organization, but this is a incremental change. Here we are talking about a leap, mm-hmm. a, a leap in security. So uh, it's it's significant. Yeah, no, that's uh, and and that's also very sort of exciting sounding because like you're you know it, I think for people who are already intrigued by this as as a line of work, I think hearing that you know this is going to you know take go from the stone age into the, into the modern world in terms of, you know, security, federal agencies and stuff like that. I, I, you know, I can't imagine someone listening to this now wouldn't be incredibly inspired to sort of jump into this space and, 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 and yeah, and lend a hand. Like, here's hoping. Uh, so as we wrap up today, uh, you know, so could you tell people about Sepio, the uh, services and products your company offers? And if there's anything that, you know, your company's looking forward to in 2023, if there's something you're looking to unveil or big changes. Yeah, well, uh, some of our people call it uh, a rocket, uh, mm-hmm. and, and and I think it is a rocket. You know, nothing here is boring. Uh, we are running very quickly, uh, providing solutions to the problems we discussed today uh, to many organizations, from financial institutions to healthcare to critical infrastructure, and of course to the U.S. government, both DOD and and civilian. Uh, this is why I feel very comfortable uh, to applause uh, these agencies and mm-hmm. not just because they uh, gave me money which i really appreciate their business but really making a decisions not always easy decisions but uh, smart decisions i believe yep. uh, so that's one thing uh, we keep growing and we keep growing all around the world so uh, we have always open positions feel free to uh, people to take a look on that i think you know eventually we are working hard, all of us, and we try to make a difference. It's all about making difference. We pay like the rest and we give options like the rest. Mm-hmm. But making a difference and being part of something that changes uh, is, first, it's a smart career move, but literally, you know, good people want to make a positive change in the world. That's yeah. really the place, uh, one of the places to be in, in order to do that. That's awesome. Uh, so one last question, very important. If our listeners want to learn more about Yossi Applebaum or Sepio, uh, where can they go online? LinkedIn. I'm not a Facebook uh, guy. Yep. 
That's why I'm getting into that. But mm-hmm. uh, uh, LinkedIn is the right place. Can our uh, listeners drop you a line? Excuse me? Can our listeners drop you a line? Yeah, of course. Please okay, do. Mm-hmm. Uh, I have plenty of people in my network. I like to Good. discuss with people. And please do. Feel free to. Wonderful. And Sepio's uh, email or uh, URL? So it's www.sepiocyber.com. Plenty of of materials there that might be interesting to many people, not just sales uh, material, but literal deep tech uh, information. Cool. Uh, Yossi, thank you so much for joining me today. This was really informative and a lot of fun. Thank you so much. Uh, And as always, I'd like to thank you all for listening to and watching the CyberWork podcast on an unprecedented scale. We're wrapping up 2022 here, and we're delighted to have so many people along for the ride and such a big jump in uh, subscriptions and listening uh, time and viewing time. So thank you. Thank you all so much. Uh, Now, I'll just say go to infosecinstitute.com slash free to get your free cybersecurity talent development ebook. It's got in-depth training plans for the 12 most common roles including SOC analyst, penetration tester, cloud security engineer, information risk analyst, privacy manager, secure coder, and more. Uh, So we took notes from employers and a team of subject matter experts to build training plans that align with the most in-demand skills. You can use these plans as is or customize them to create a unique training plan that aligns with all of your unique career goals. And that's going to be very useful, especially if you're going to get into asset management in the federal government. So uh, one more time, go to infosecinstitute.com slash free or click the link in the description below to get your free training plans, plus many more free research resources for cyber work listeners. Thank you once again to Yossi Applebaum and Sepio, and thank you all so much for watching and listening. As always, we will speak to you next week, and I hope you have a very happy new year. Take care now. How about some free cybersecurity training resources for you and your team? Just go to infosecinstitute.com slash free to get ebooks, training guides, and more than 100 cybersecurity training courses, all free for cyber work listeners. Go to infosecinstitute.com slash free and start learning crucial new skills today.